history on the surface of Mars. Only hours after the recording of this podcast, NASA will be attempting its ninth landing on the red planet in an unprecedented way. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story, but here we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to Greater Cincinnati. I'm Stephen Albritton, and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. Today on the pod, the next frontier is Mars, and the trip that began on July 30th, 2020, will hopefully end with a successful landing of the Perseverance rover on February 18th. From there, it's a two-year mission looking for signs of ancient life, studying the climate and the planet's composition, with a goal of one day sending a manned mission to the surface. But that can only start after what NASA calls seven minutes of terror. First up, a University of Cincinnati professor whose specialty is astrobiology. Dr. Andy Chaya joins us to give an inside look at his role leading up to the landing of Perseverance. So I'm a, a, a science team member and I'm a, uh, on the a team of returned sample scientists as we, we call ourselves. Um, so uh, we are there to help guide the mission in terms of what what samples to collect, because this mission uh, is not only going to explore Mars on the surface, like previous missions with uh, with instruments on the rover, it's, it will do that too. It has a lot of very sophisticated instruments, but another major portion of this mission is collecting samples. So drilling into the rock and collecting pieces of rock that will be stored on the surface and brought back by a later mission that's that's being planned now. And uh, so it's very important that we collect the best samples we possibly can. So I'm a te- on a team of people who has expertise in collecting samples in the field and also studying them in laboratories here on earth for various reasons, various purposes. I study ancient uh, life here on earth and fossils of ancient microorganisms from billions of years ago. There are other people on the team who are interested in studying the volcanic rocks that we hope to find there or you know, other types of, of rocks to understand not just ancient life on, but the possibility of ancient life on Mars, but the ancient geologic history, ancient climate. So how, I mean, it, it's, it's so wild to hear about your position, what you do, what you study and what you're involved with, but how do you get involved with a project so massive as what we're seeing with Perseverance? Yeah, well, it started about uh, almost, well, five and a half years ago, I guess. I was, uh, th- there was a call that was put out for people to join the mission at, on, in an advisory capacity. So I joined a, an advisory board about returned samples. And so the, it was advising on maybe the types of samples that we might want to collect, uh, but also how to handle them so they don't get contaminated or altered in the process, uh, where's the best place on Mars to go to, to, to get the types of samples we'd want to get to meet the objectives of the mission. And so I, I applied, you know, it was, I got an email about it out of the blue, um, just because of, it was sent out to a bunch of mailing lists of, you know, people who study the ancient earth. And so I received it and I applied and I was lucky enough, really lucky enough to get, uh, to get accepted. And then I did that for about three years and then, you know, at that point, the mission was all kind of locked in and nothing we could advise on was going to change anything. So we, you know, stopped being an advisory board, but then we were allowed to apply to become a team member to, to work on the mission, you know, leading up to and then also importantly, during the mission while it was uh, happening on the ground. And so uh, I was, again, lucky enough to be selected for that because 
it's a very large team. There's you know hundreds and hundreds of people on this, including the engineers, and you know we're all focused on making it a successful mission, but there's a lot of different aspects to the mission, a lot of different things we're going to do. So we, we need a lot of people to, with a lot of different expertise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back to perseverance, you know, we've been to Mars, I think it's about eight times prior to this, I think, of, as far as getting to the surface. What do you hope to learn or what surprise do you feel like you might learn once you get there and start, start drilling? Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it. There's, there, you're right. There are so many things that we we don't know, and there are things that we we think we might know based on uh, there. Uh, we have there are satellites orbiting Mars that are taking pictures, but also using instruments to study the the chemicals of the rocks or the, the types of minerals that are there. And so, based on that evidence, we think, oh, this might be this kind of rock. Um, but we really won't know for sure until we get there. And then, and so. Um, I mean, what I'm hoping to find is evidence, or we're all hoping to find, is evidence of ancient life on Mars. Look, finding, you know, layered types of rocks that contain either morphological evidence, shapes in the rock that we know were made by, or can, you know, argue were made by microorganisms, or chemicals in the rock. And unfortunately, some of those things we're not going to be able to, to maybe know without, with, for sure until we bring samples back. To, to Earth, which is why this mission has that capability. Um, but yeah, it would be, it, there, you know, there certain rocks that we think may have been an ancient shoreline or formed on an ancient shoreline, but we don't know that for sure. And I would love to, for that to be true, <laughs> because that's a great place for life to, to live. Obviously, there's like things living on shorelines. There's often microbial mats when you go to the beach, things like that. And and that's also a place for material to be deposited on the surface and bury it. And that's how things get preserved. They get buried in the ground and trapped there. If they're just sitting on the surface being exposed, well, they often don't get preserved. And with that, I know the, this area that, that Perseverance is going to try to land in tomorrow. Um, uh, we're recording this podcast on February 17th. Perseverance is expected to land around uh, 345 Eastern on February 18th. It, it, you're basically landing in a delta, but at the same time, this isn't the easiest place from what I've read to land. So what was the determination that this was the spot um, in this delta uh, uh, to put Perseverance down and hopefully get what you need? The reason that this landing site was was selected, because there was a lot of great uh, landing site uh, candidates, but ultimately it came down to, um, you know, I, I wasn't, the, you know, I, actually I wasn't on the team when, when the final decision was made, but I was, you know, part involved with it leading up to that. But the, you know, it's because it's a, it was an ancient lake, there's evidence that this was an ancient lake, that there was water here, and there's a delta I mean, that's just a great place to preserve evidence of ancient life. You know, there's much easier places to land. Like you, like you said, you know, you can land out on a very flat plane, but you know, you're going to have to drive a very long way to get to anything that where you might find evidence of life. There's much easier places to land, but this is, you know, you you need to kind of mitigate that or or balance the risk of where you're landing with what the, the sciences you want to do. But the engineers have added some really cool uh, technology to this mission that, that wasn't there previously in terms of the landing, where we'll be able to, the, 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 the mission as it's, or the, the spacecraft as it's coming in, has uh, cameras all over it that can monitor the, the terrain, and it can actually avoid hazards and decide, okay, that's a big rock there, going to, you know, fire a thruster to steer a little bit to the side so it doesn't, 
land on a, on a big rock. Cause yeah, there are some spots where we do not want to land uh, in there. Cause you'll be on a, on a steep hillside or something. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, the engineers have really made it so that this it's possible to land in this, uh, in this exciting place and as close as possible. So we don't have to land in the flat area and then drive for a month to get to the, to get to the, the exciting rocks. Absolutely. Being able to touch down right where you want to be is so important on a mission. Right. Uh, so critical with this. Uh, so for you, you know, 10, 15 years ago, did you ever think you'd be doing something like this, helping land a, a rover for exploration on a planet 300 million miles away? No, no, I, I didn't. Uh, you know, yeah, this, uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, like I said, you know, I got involved with this five years ago, but it's something I've been, you know, excited about and, and dreamed about for a long time. Um, you know, I, and especially, in uh, in 2012, when Curiosity landed, I stayed up late. It was around one in the morning here on the East Coast uh, when that landed, and I stayed up to to watch. I you know watched the engineers and scientists watching screens. That's all you know. That's well, unfortunately how it goes because it's it's too far away to have a live camera, and there's also no camera pointed at it. Um, this mission will be exciting though because we'll get to. Uh, th- there's all kinds of cameras they've added to the lander. That are and video that's it's gonna we're not gonna see it in real time, but we're gonna be able to see views of the landing that have never been seen before on a on a on a mission. Um, again, after the fact, but still, it'll be it'll be super exciting. So yeah, I've I've ten or fifteen years ago, I wasn't really thinking about this you know directly, but I've always been excited about and interested in Mars and the possibility of finding evidence of life outside of Earth. And how are you feeling? We're, you know, as of recording this podcast, about 24 hours out from, you know, the seven minutes of terror, as they call it. How are you <laughs> feeling right now? Yeah, pretty anxious, but also very excited. You know, it's a, it's a mixture of both. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, I, it sort of has snuck up on me. I know it's been seven months since it, since it launched and it, it should have been gradually building, but I kind of, you know, it, it sort of, the, the time slipped by somehow and it uh, suddenly is realizing, oh, it's happening tomorrow you know, and then it's forgot to be anxious about it until now, <laughs> but now I, I certainly am. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm really exciting and can't, can't wait for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. How are you going to spend that time? Uh, I'm probably, well, I'm going to be here in my house. Um, but we, the, uh, NASA has set, or the mission has set up a, a way for all of us to interact virtually from around the world. Cause there's people, a lot of folks in the U S but there's people in Europe, there's people in Australia who are part of this, this mission. And we're all going to be, you know, joined together, you know, virtually and, uh, you know, but, but also watching the watching the feed from uh, from NASA together. And so and I'm cel- celebrating with my family too, my 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 wife and two kids. Oh, my kids are getting excited about about space as well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so great to hear. And for people listening to this, uh, this podcast at home, you know, what would you tell them about perseverance and how this is going to possibly change the way we travel and eventually, hopefully, uh, get to Mars. Yeah, so, so um, I mean, this every time we send a mission into space, of course, there's always new developments and, and new, new additions that, you know, we didn't have before. And so we're just constantly, you know, building on what we've done in the past. And uh, even though this rover looks an awful lot like Curiosity, it has some capabilities that the Curiosity didn't have. And, but also it has a, uh, an instrument on it um, to convert carbon dioxide into oxygen. It's a, it's a test instrument. It's, it's, not, it, it's not going to be used to help the, the mission exactly, but it's a, it's, they're testing out this technology for future missions, in particular 
human missions to Mars. And it's it's called uh, in situ research utilization or uh, was it IS? Wait, RU, ISRU, the NASA likes its acronyms. And uh, and, it's, and so it's, it's a, you know, it's a, a instrument that can take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere because Mars's atmosphere is like 95% carbon dioxide. It's very, very low density compared to Earth, but, um, and then convert it into oxygen and to see how well this instrument works in the, in the Martian atmosphere. You can test it all you want on Earth, but until you're actually on Mars, it's hard to know how these things are going to work. And uh, yeah, so that actually would be something that can, we learn, we'll learn from that and we could potentially scale that up for a human mission and be able to produce oxygen so you don't have to bring giant tanks of it with you on, on a mission. We're also going to learn of the one of the samples that's going to get, at least one of the samples that's going to get brought back is going to be a sample of the soil of Mars or what we call regolith. Um, and it's just the loose material on the surface. And we'll be able to test that once it comes back and see what's in it. You know, is, is there anything harmful in it? Because the, there's often very, very fine dust on the surface of Mars, which is, you know, breathing in fine dust is harmful on its own. But if there's any chemicals in there that are really bad for people, we want to know that before we before we send people so we can help, you know, uh, block against it so people don't get, you know, astronauts going to Mars don't get sick. So that, those are two things that this mission is going to do to help with future missions to, to Mars. Wow. I... I am so incredibly pumped about this mission. Uh, congratulations on all your success so far. Enjoy watching it. And uh, uh, thanks for speaking with us today. We really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. Time for a quick break. On the other side, we're talking to NASA. Accuracy. It matters in everything you do. Your GPS needs to be accurate. Take a left on third. Your taxes need to be accurate. And your dentist needs to be accurate. You choose accuracy every day. And for an accurate forecast, choose WLWT Weather. It's the only forecast in Cincinnati independently certified most accurate. Nine years in a row and counting. Accuracy does matter. Choose accuracy. Choose WLWT Weather. Welcome back to the Beyond the Studio podcast. Entry, descent, and landing. Hundreds of millions of miles traveled, and now seven minutes could make or literally break this mission. Here's NASA EDL systems engineer for the Perseverance rover, Chloe Sackier. Jump right into it. I mean, you guys are landing a rover on Mars again tomorrow, but this one is different in multiple ways. So kind of take us through what Perseverance is up to uh, when it lands on uh, Thursday, February 18th. That's true. It is very similar. It looks very similar on the outside to the Curiosity rover, which we landed on Mars in the summer of 2012. Uh, but on the inside, it's a completely different rover, a completely different uh, suite of instruments, and completely different scientific mission objectives as well. So the three primary things that the Perseverance rover is going to do on Mars is one, search for signs of ancient life, uh, two, prepare for eventually sending humans to Mars in the future, and three, uh, cache samples of Martian rock and regolith uh, on the surface of Mars for future collection and return to Earth. This is what we call sample return. Um, I'm here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I talked to a UC professor who was on the team of, you know, how you guys are determining uh, where to land, what samples to collect. You know, with this mission, you know, what's going to make this great? What's going to make this something that people are going to remember tomorrow? Sure. So uh, from the entry, descent and landing perspective, it's which is the team that I'm on. It's a really exciting mission uh, because for the first time ever, we're able to land in a location that was really off limits to us before. It was totally inaccessible because it was deemed too dangerous. 
We're landing in Jezero Crater, uh, which is the site of an ancient lake bed in the mouth of a river delta on Mars, uh, ancient river delta, uh, which is geologically a perfect location for preserving those signs of ancient life that we're looking for. But from a landing perspective, it's really, really scary. Uh, in the center of the what we call the landing ellipse, there's this massive cliff. Uh, the place is littered with massive rocks and boulders that are basically landing death for the entry, descent, and landing team, but really interesting science targets for the science team. So we have a few new technologies that enable us to access this previously off-limits place. Uh, the big one is terrain relative navigation, which is a capability that lets us take pictures of the ground as we're coming in and compare those pictures against an onboard map and using that comparison to figure out where we want to fly to, pick a safe landing site. Uh, so, so that's a really exciting thing because for the first time ever, we, we don't have to land in like a flat, smooth parking lot. We can land right in the middle of all that interesting science that we want to explore. But this all sounds like stuff out of science fiction. You're landing this rover. It's going to be mapping the ground. It's going to pick out where it's going on its own. You know, we'll get to the seven minutes of terror here in a minute. But just talking about the science that goes into it and what all goes into landing this, it's really incredible. And I'm sure for you and your team who deals with the math and the science daily, it still has to leave you in awe at some point. It absolutely does. I mean, the landing on Mars is hard. We say that all the time because it requires so much uh, technological and engineering precision and everything has to go quite literally perfectly. There's no there's no partial credit, we like to say, when landing something on Mars because everything has to go right for us to have a safe functioning rover on the surface. Uh, but that really is just the beginning because after we after we touch down, then the science actually starts, the mission actually starts, uh, and we start digging into those those questions that sent us to Mars in the first place. I touched on it just a moment ago. Seven minutes of terror. Take us through what that is. You know, I'll be watching. I'm going to be hoping schools are watching, kids are watching. Take us through that seven minutes of terror that we are all anticipating here in just about uh, what twenty hours or so. Very, very short amount of time. So we call it the seven minutes of terror because it, it really is precisely seven minutes that it takes for us to get from the top of the Martian atmosphere all the way down to the surface of Mars. And in those seven minutes, so much has to happen. It's really action jam-packed uh, period of time. And the spacecraft has to complete all of it autonomously. She has to fly EDL all by herself because Mars is so far away that the one-way light time it takes for information and light to travel from Earth to Mars is over 11 minutes. So the spacecraft has to fly it all by herself. We can't joystick or control the landing at all. But that sequence of events, uh, to summarize it, basically we hit the Martian atmosphere going really, really fast, like over 12,000 miles per hour. Uh, we fly that early part of entry, protected from the heat of the atmosphere uh, by our heat shield. Once we reach a certain point, we deploy this massive supersonic parachute that slows us down a lot more. We're on the parachute for a little bit. We get rid of the heat shield because we don't need it anymore. Uh, and that exposes the rover that's hidden underneath, tucked up into the back shell. And the radar that is uncovered then can then start searching for the ground. We can start trying to figure out where we are and where we want to go. Then we have to drop out of that back shell that's connected to the parachute because we don't want to be dragging it behind us anymore. We light up engines on the descent stage and then use that descent stage to fly to that landing site that we <laughs> selected previously. And then we deploy what's called the sky crane maneuver where we slowly and carefully lower the rover down from about uh, 60 feet off the ground and touch it down safely on the surface of Mars. And then we sever the connection to the descent stage and it flies away. So there's, there's so much that has to happen perfectly at exactly the right time for us to get from the top to the bottom slowly. <laughs> 
And I, I, I can't but help hear the enthusiasm in your voice when you're talking about this. For you personally, I mean, you're, you're in your mid-20s. You're working at NASA helping land this thing. What is this like for you? This is an absolute dream come true. I wake up every single day and I'm like, oh man, that wasn't a dream. That's really crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is this is my dream job. I'm on my my dream team. Uh, it's it's so fun. It's such a privilege to work with the people that I work with. Um, and every single day, it's something different. Sometimes I'm learning about propulsion. Sometimes we're working on a parachute related problem. Um, but it's it's always a fresh challenge and an incredibly smart group of people to get to work with. So it's an exciting moment for me, and it's a, an exciting moment for for many many people on the team as well. And what does it mean to you to be a woman in this field? I'm sure there's not many. I'm sure those numbers are growing. At least I hope they're growing and growing fast. But, you know, it, it, you know, it, it has to be said. I mean, you're a woman excelling in a, a very scientific field that's been male-dominated for so long. You know, when people ask you about that, you know, what, what does that mean to you? What does that say about the industry in general and where it's going? Yeah, I definitely think it's changing. You know, NASA's not the the group of um, white men wearing pocket protectors that it was, you know, 50 years ago. It's a it's a diverse collection of really incredible men and women who all have such great brains to bring to the table. So I think, uh, you know, it was inspirational for me to to see uh, women at NASA when I was younger, when I was growing up, and and I hope that we're sending out the same message today to to young girls and young boys and really anyone who who wants to have this job because. All that matters is working hard and and uh, and and not giving up. By the time we're done reporting this uh, podcast, will be 20 hours away or so from uh, landing this on Mars. Tell us how will you be watching, where will you be watching, and that feeling that you have now compared to what you may be feeling when, you know, it's go time. Exactly. So uh, I and many of my colleagues will be at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in our mission control uh, room, and we will be monitoring the telemetry that Perseverance sends us in real time and sharing that with the world, sharing what we're learning in real time with the rest of the world. Uh, you at home, you can watch, uh, go to mars.nasa.gov for the, the landing coverage. I think live coverage starts at 11.15 a.m. Pacific time, uh, which should be around 2.15 uh, p.m. Eastern time. So everyone should tune in and, and um, tune in for this historic event. From when Curiosity landed years ago, what we saw, what we were able to watch is going to be entirely different this time around. So, you know, what will people see? What's going to get them excited to tune in and stay tuned in? I think uh, even though the entry, descent, and landing sequence uh, has some, you know, new and improved changes, we've outfitted the rover with cameras and microphones, this terrain relative navigation technology. We've made the parachute deployment smarter. We've added a lot of um, improvements. Uh, overall, it will look very similar to what the landing looked like for Curiosity in 2012 from the outside. But we have multiple Mars rover, ro Mars orbiters uh, streaming back telemetry for us, and some that are recording it and sending uh, downlinking it at a later time. Um, we have the deep space network that will be helping us understand and relay some of that telemetry. So they'll be, we'll be able to watch the entire sequence in real time, uh, starting from, from a few hours before entry uh, all the way through to when we're on the ground. Chloe, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to speak with us. I am excited. I know the world is excited because it's going to be a huge scientific endeavor. Um, success, that's what we want to see. And all I can say from here is Godspeed. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Once again, this historic landing attempt is Thursday afternoon, and the broadcast will go live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and the NASA app and more at 2.15 Eastern, with the landing expected just after 3.45 p.m. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening.